Today, uh, I want to just uh, talk about an invitation. Um, today, when Jesus invites you to his banquet, um, I, I was thinking about an invitation, and I want to tell you something really cool that happened in my life. Um, I was in London with Tanya in early May, and did you know that I was invited to the coronation of King Charles II, third, whatever he is? Did you know that? Um, I, want, I, want to listen, I want you to listen to an official article that proves that I was invited. Check this out. Published on April 24th, 2023 by Monique Jessen, writing for People Magazine. People Magazine, that trusted news organization that brings us all the up-to-date information on the lives of the rich and famous. So the article says this, and I quote, the coronation invites are out and one local vicar couldn't be happier. Sometimes I go by vicar, uh, sometimes minister, reverend, pastor, whatever. The Reverend Matthew Price was delighted and surprised when he received an invitation from Buckingham Palace asking him to be a guest at the upcoming coronation of King Charles and Queen Camilla. Price, who is 45 or 43, they're not going to get all the details exactly right, has been invited to attend the historic event at Westminster Abbey on May 6th after becoming a British Empire Medal recipient an honor he received in 2020 as a result of his tireless work in the community amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, you know, I did do a lot during the COVID-19 pandemic. Pastoring was hard during the pandemic, so I guess I did win a, an award. After being presented with the medal by the Lord Lieutenant Price and his wife were also invited to a garden party at Buckingham Palace last summer. I don't remember that, but it's fine. Uh, quote, even... Even the post lady was excited when she delivered it. And she said, I think it's from the king. That totally describes the relationship I have with the postal workers in my neighborhood, that kind of excitement. So here's a picture uh, of me holding my, my invitation. <laughs> this is a picture of me. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I love it. I, I posted that on Facebook, and a few, a few friends uh, thought I had actually been invited uh, to the coronation, uh, which was great. Would you say yes to the invitation uh, to see King Charles coronated? Anyone? Yes, and I did hear a no. How, how are you guys feeling about the monarchy these days? Any strong opinions in the room? <laughs> okay. So anyway, Tony and I were actually in England. We were at an Alpha conference. Um, we were not there for the coronation. But today, you and I have been invited to the greatest event, the greatest coronation, the greatest banquet the world has ever known. And I want you to listen to Jesus tell a story about those who are invited and whether or not they said yes to the invitation. So if you will, would you open your Bible to Luke chapter 14? We'll be in Luke 14 today. We'll start in verse 15. If you did not bring your Bible, it will be on the screen. Remember, Jesus is actually in, in the home of a Pharisee. He's been invited for dinner. We're, we're kind of halfway through the story. Dane covered the first part of the story last week. But here we are, we're still at the banquet, and we read this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. 
At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So this is the word of the Lord. All right, well, let's walk through the text line by line. Let's see all that there is to see. All right, well, just really quick, as I just mentioned, Jesus is in the home of a Pharisee. And you need to know, oftentimes we... We speak poorly of Pharisees. They, they often seem to be at odds with Jesus in the New Testament. But you need to know that Pharisees theologically would have been quite aligned with Jesus. And you also need to know that Pharisees, um, before the time of Jesus, they had been a, a very um, focused, determined group of people who were, who were a renewal group. They were trying to take God's law seriously. And so they really devoted themselves to living out uh, the law and trying to be obedient to God. So they really started off in a very positive way. They wanted to be faithful to God and to, and to live lives of holiness. But what had happened over the years is that they had kind of become rotten at the core. From the inside out, they, they, they were legalistic. They had uh, become very unloving of other people. And even though Jesus and the Pharisees would have had a lot of similar ways of understanding who God was, um, at the core, there was a difference. And Jesus is concerned about how the Pharisees' hearts have kind of turned. So that's the Pharisees. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Now notice... Uh, I don't know when the last time you went to your friend's home for dinner, were you being carefully watched, right? It's, it's a little creepy, right? It's a little creepy sounding. This is not a friendly dinner invite. This is how the religious powers are going to monitor Jesus. They're suspicious of Jesus, and while they keep their friends close, they're keeping their enemy closer. So this isn't a kind invitation for dinner. Now, last week, you'll remember, Jesus started talking about a banquet, and I'll say a lot more about that in a second, but the topic of a banquet comes up, and one of the guests at the dinner party says this. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Okay, well, what is the feast in the kingdom of God? Well, this is odd language. And we need to enter into the mind of these religious leaders 2,000 years ago. What is this feast? What is this banquet all about? Well, it was a metaphor. It's a metaphor. It's a picture of a day when God would come to the world and bring his healing. 
I want you to listen to Isaiah chapter 25. This is written, just so you know, 700 years before Jesus. Listen to this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Check that out. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. 700 years before Jesus, these words are prophesied about a great banquet. It's, it's, it's a banquet that's at the core of the kingdom of God. This is The kingdom of God is the place where God becomes king and his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is the space where God is going to put the world back together. And so Jews were anticipating the coming of the kingdom when God would set everything back to rights. And the banquet is this metaphor, this picture of feasting in the kingdom of God. All is good. And I love at the heart of it is that God will swallow up death forever. Right now, your mind should be going to the resurrection. You should be going to Easter Sunday, right? The moment when God swallows up death. And so Jesus is going around inviting people to this banquet. And you can see how God's people look forward to this day. This great banquet on the day God brings a powerful healing to the world. And now watch what Jesus is doing. He's going around saying that the kingdom, the banquet, is, has come. Jesus is going around saying, come, the food's ready. It's time to eat, all right? It's time to eat. Jesus was inviting people to the banquet, and it's the place where anyone can come into God's presence and experience his provision, his goodness, his life, his healing, and his plan to put the world back together. But there's a problem. There's a certain group of people that don't want it. The leaders of Israel don't want to come. Why? Probably because Jesus doesn't look like what they were expecting. Have you ever been to a party or a banquet or a wedding or some gathering and you walk in and you're like, these are not my people. I don't want to be with these people. I don't want to hang out for hours with these people. This is what the Jewish leaders were feeling. The Jewish leaders are watching Jesus bring together a party of people who are coming back to God. And the Pharisees are looking and they're like, uh-uh. These people are marginalized. These are sinners. You even have tax collectors as part of that group. We're not coming to that banquet. All the wrong people are ending up at Jesus' banquet. Jesus knows that the religious leaders, they're repulsed by this. They don't want to come. And if we can, you have your Bible open. You see that Luke 15 is coming, as I mentioned a moment ago. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The father has two sons. The older one, does he want to come to the banquet? No, he does not want to come to the banquet. Why? Because his younger brother's there. And his younger brother's a sinner. And his younger brother ruined his life. And his younger brother wasted all his money on prostitutes. I'm not going to share a banquet with that kid. That's what the older brother's feeling. 
And Jesus knows this. He knows the Pharisees are these older brothers that cannot stand the thought that they'd have to associate with sinners. So Jesus is going to tell a story. That's what I love about Jesus. Whenever he's in a moment like this, he's going to just tell a parable. He's going to tell a story. So Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. In Oklahoma, my grandparents were on a farm. And my grandpa would be way out in the fields, and my grandma would ring this metal bell, this huge metal bell. It's like, honestly, it was huge, you know, to bring him in. This is what Jesus is doing. Come. He's ringing the bell. It's dinner time. Dinner is ready. Now, do you already notice there's a few characters in the parable so far? Who's the man? Who's the owner of the house? Well, that's God the Father. Who is the servant? It's Jesus which is actually pretty cool because he's picking up on the language of Isaiah. Some of you who are familiar with Isaiah, you'll know that there was a servant who would come. He would be a suffering servant, living, giving his life for the people, right? So this is Jesus. He's the servant. So who's the owner of the house? That's God the Father. Who's the servant? That's Jesus. And who are the invited guests? Will be the Jewish people. The Jewish people. And in the, in the minds of the religious leaders, definitely them. If you're a religious leader in Israel, you're like, well, I'm invited for sure. For sure, I got an invitation to God's banquet. And the message is, come. Come. Everything is now ready. At this time in history, the animals have been killed. Ready for the feast. You cannot put the meat back in the refrigerator or into the freezer. It's time to eat. And there's this urgency here, right? The meal's warm. Come. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. Three excuses. The Greek here, the Greek language suggests that each of these three people are speaking with one mind. They are of one accord. They're speaking with one voice. It's like they were all ready to turn down the invitation. Right? When, come now, so, hey, we've got something better to do. Right? It feels oddly coordinated. Why don't they want to come? During this time in history, you would often RSVP for the banquet, just like today. Obviously, the host wants to know how many to prepare for. Some of you will be attending weddings this summer, right? And the people who are paying the bill for the wedding want to know if you're going to be there or not, because they don't want to pay however much for your plate if you're not going to show up. So they want to know who's going to come. And invitations would have been sent out. And right now, you should be thinking about the Jewish people, that God had sent them an invitation, that they had said, yes, we will be your people. You will be our God, and we will be your people. So God had received an RSVP that said yes from his own people. Now, so here we are. There's a beautiful banquet. The plates are set. The food is ready. You can smell it. But then, verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. Now they're all bailing. 
They're all bailing. And of course, if this, if this was happening today, it would all happen through texting, right? How often do we bail through text, right? You do it. I know you do. I do it. We all do this, right? And when was the last time you bailed from a commitment? You're like, oh no, a three-hour event. I don't want to go. I mean, I kind of like them, but I don't want to be there the whole time. Some of you may not have been listening to my sermon. You've been planning on how to send a text message to someone. It's like, I just, I don't want to come to your thing. But how do I say this nicely? And, you know, some of us use the quote-unquote, something came up. Something came up, which is always so convenient because all kinds of things come up. Uh, But I know if I see a something came up text, I know that person is at home watching their favorite show on Netflix, right? Something came up. Your Netflix feed came up. So what do, you, what do you text people when you need to bail, right? If you're with someone who knows you, just turn right now. Just tell them. What's, or maybe you should tell them what your favorite text is when you bail. Anyone? Anyone? So only a few of you are like brave enough souls to turn and do that. How many of you are still using the COVID excuse? Sorry, I can't come because COVID? Is that still allowed? Does that still work? So David Garland writes this. He says, it seems an unlikely coincidence that the entire guest list suddenly has some pressing 11th hour business that needs attention. It smacks of some kind of conspiracy among the guests that was designed to embarrass the host. Now, what I want to do is I want to unpack their excuses. Listen to the first one. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Interesting. A field. That's a big deal, I think. I would want to see my new field if I had a new field. Fields are cool. But you are canceling at the last minute. The food is warm. Everything is ready. You had said you were going to go. And now you have to go see your field. Your field is not going anywhere, I don't think. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Five yoke of oxen. This is, the biblical scholars I read, they said this is obviously a very wealthy individual. He would have had a lot of land to farm if you need five yoke of oxen. And the interesting thing is he would have had people who work for him who could have easily gone to check on the five oxen. And what does he actually say about the ox? He says, I'm on on my way to try them out. Wow. Okay, so he's on his way to try them out. But you've got people that can do that. So, and, and, and you're a wealthy guy, and you're canceling at the last minute. Again, you already said you were going to come, and the food is ready, everything is prepared, and now you have to go try them out? Are the oxen running away? And the third group, verse 20, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, this one is interesting. This is like, oh, Jesus, come on. Like, they're on their honeymoon. Like, they're not going to come to your banquet, you know? And if, if, if it really is true that they're saying something like, my honeymoon is still happening, so can't come, uh, Princeton professor Kenneth Bailey, who worked for years in the Middle East, he points out that in a Middle Eastern culture, it would have been considered extremely crude to hint of honeymoon activities. This, and, and, and this is weird, right? It's weird because these, this person RSVP'd to the banquet, 
are they getting spontaneously married? Is this some kind of Las Vegas drive-through marriage situation? Not at this time in history. Not amongst faithful Jews, right? So if you knew you were getting married, why did you RSVP? And also, this is my point. I did not read this amongst theologians, but there's probably a good reason why. My point is that what newly married couple turns down free food, right? <laughs> we all know you're broke and you aren't coming to a banquet. That's suspicious to me. Anyway, so you look at these three excuses and these people just don't want to come. They don't want to be there. They're not interested. They've got more important things to do. And as you and I begin to bridge this into our own lives, let me ask, what is keeping you from the banquet? I'll come back to that question in a second. We keep reading, verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. You see, the master of the banquet will fill the seats. Hey, if you're not coming, I'm going to fill your spot. Someone needs to eat this food. I'm going to go out and invite all those who would never be able to attend a banquet like this. I'm going to go out and invite anyone who cannot pay me back, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. They'll all have seats at my banquet. That's what God is saying. Right? And then... After all the marginalized are welcome into the banquet, there's still more room. And North Langley, there's always more room at the banquet. The master has a place for you, but there's always more room. And, and here Jesus may be hinting at the invitation to the Gentiles. Listen to this. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. The master of the banquet will fill the seats. If, if, if those who are invited are going to bail, he will fill the seats with others. And he's going to invite all these people that can't pay him back. And in these final verses, Jesus is hinting that the banquet will be filled with Gentiles. That's non-Jews. And if you follow Jesus throughout the book of Luke, you know this is a passion of his. He's hinting that the banquet is not just going to be for the people of Israel. It's going to be for the world. By the way, all, most of us in the room are Gentiles, right? We are not Jewish. And we've been invited there has been a seat saved for us at God's banquet. And Jesus is hinting at that here. Far away, the roads, the country lanes, they'll all have a seat at my banquet. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's telling a simple story about a few people who bailed from attending a banquet, but the message is much deeper. Those three people are the religious leaders of Israel, and they're making every excuse not to come to the banquet. They're making every excuse not to come into the kingdom of God, and God will fill their seats with the poor, the broken, and all kinds of people who are not Jewish. God loves the entire world, and God is inviting all people to come. Whoever wants to come, they can come. And you need to know plenty of the Jewish people responded positively. Jesus' 12 disciples, they were Jewish and they responded positively, all but one. And then you remember Paul, Paul the apostle, who used to persecute Christians. He responded. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee himself and he responded to the good news. But what keeps us from wanting to come? 
What is keeping you from the banquet? As I was kind of pondering these three excuses, um, I boiled it down in my own mind to two words that helped me. Idols and distractions. Idols and distractions. Let me explain. First of all, idols. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York who, who recently passed away. He, he was a, a big influence on many of us. He, he does a great job describing what an idol is. Because oftentimes we think, oh, it's just like a little carving or something, and we bow down to the carving. Well, that's maybe one narrow definition of an idol. But an idol is actually any good thing that becomes an ultimate thing in our life. Any good thing that has become primary, ultimate in our life. I, I think that's a helpful grid for us to think through the things in our life that have become ultimate. Good things are good things. God made a good world, and God filled this good world with his goodness, and he called it all good. And when he made humanity, he called us very good. But good things can become ultimate in our life. Good things, like in our story, things like land, our business with his oxen, right? Or marriage, land, business, marriage, those apply, don't they, in our world? I mean, think about land. Can we just get really practical? Where do we live? What is going on with real estate? What is going on with the cost of our mortgages and our rental pay? And how many of us are consumed with the stress when it comes to land? And maybe for some of us, we're so consumed with our properties that these good things, these gifts from God, and maybe if you don't own, it, it's a rental place, and God gave you a place where you can rent. And we're so consumed with the other, or the next, or the upgrade, or the maintenance of it all, that this thing has become ultimate in our life. It's a good thing that became an ultimate thing. And this can work with business. And this can work with families as well. And you're gonna hear more about that next week with Jesus. But I wanna give you an example of something good that can become ultimate. And I wanna actually talk about the gift that God has given the world of sex. And Aldous Huxley, some of you know the novel Brave New World. He, Aldous Huxley, when he wrote Brave New World, he talks about um, the importance of the world not having meaning in a book of his called Ends and Means. And he says this, he says, this won't be on the screen, so just listen to his quote. He says, quote, those who detect no meaning in the world generally do so because for one reason or another, it suits their books that the world should be meaningless. For myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. What's Huxley saying? As an atheist, he's saying, I, these, my cold notes, he's saying, I turned away from God and the morals of God because it interfered with my sexual freedom. He's being honest. And he's saying, it worked. It was a very convenient thing to become an atheist and to turn from the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. God and morality interfered 
So God had to go. So I'm not coming into your banquet. Because see, the banquet is at the heart of the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, God gives a way. God gives a blueprint for the good gift of sex in a marriage. And this blueprint is something that we today, we react against that. It's a reaction. It's like, well, if that is the kingdom of God, if that's what's going on wherever God is, I don't have anything to do with that. I'm going to turn my back on that. So sex is a good thing that became an ultimate thing because the desire to do what we want sexually outside of God's plan, it, it's, it's, it's turning it into an idol. I, I prefer to follow it than to enter into the banquet. Now, play that out in all kinds of things. Not just God's good gift of sex, but God's good gift of business and God's gift, good gift of money, right? And God's good gift of time. And you just keep going. Where has a good thing become an ultimate thing? Now, I said idols and distractions. You could also look at these three excuses and talk about distractions, right? Because these three people are distracted. Land, oxen, marriage, right? And we are so distracted, aren't we? It's all a distraction. These three people in the story had to check on everything now, right now. It couldn't wait. Even though the food was prepared, it was warm, it was ready to go, God's abundance, God's goodness is ready to go, it's ready to, to fill you, to satisfy you and I, but we're distracted. And these people didn't have phones. These people didn't have iPhones, you know what I mean? We're distracted now. I go on my phone to check the weather, and I've already bought something from Amazon, right? And then I read the first few sentences of an article on Facebook, and then I like a baby picture of the baby my friends just had, and then I start reading my work emails, and then I ask myself, what was I doing? Why am I standing in the middle of my kitchen again? Oh, right, the weather. Cloudy. <laughs> okay. That's, what, what just happened to the last 30 minutes, you know? And we're, so we're distracted. And Hilda Burke, in this phone addiction workbook, she writes the following, and this won't be on the screen, just listen to this. She says, quote, many people have a constant drip feed of requests coming their way via their device, many with a false sense of urgency. A false sense of urgency. I gotta check my land. Gotta make sure the oxen are okay, right? And that sense of urgency, that feeling is with us all the time. We're so distracted. And are we so distracted that we're missing out on the banquet, on this rich relationship we can have with God, who often invites us into the quiet place, into his word, into prayer, into moments where we carve out the time to come to worship. And he says, welcome, you can come. Feast here. Enjoy all the goodness that I have to give you, but you're going to have to turn away from those things that distract you. So where would you and I say, as we think about idols and distractions, where would you say right now, and by the way, the Holy Spirit is moving in the room right now. We, we believe he's here. He's moving. And so I think he's delighted to bring some things to the surface in our life. And, and your role right now is to just say, God, what, what are you saying today? What are you saying right now?
So let me ask, where would you say, Lord, this thing, this thing is coming between me and you? Lord, this idol or this distraction is coming between me and you. Would you please take it? Lord, this good thing is starting to become an ultimate thing, so ultimate that I'm tempted to turn away from your goodness. Would you please take it? Let's get practical. Some of us would say something like this. God, I'm actually worried about land and property. And it's getting to a place where it's coming between me and you. Please take it away. I want you. Or, God, I'm so caught up with managing all the things that I own. And it's getting to a place where it's coming between me and you. Please take it. I want you. Or maybe it's relational. God, I'm so caught up with this people-pleasing, with managing the relationships that I have. I'm deferring to all kinds of people who have this weird authority over me. And I, I just, I'm so consumed with this way, the way people see me and my people-pleasing that I just, it's, it's getting in the way of me and you. And God, would you take it all? Would you heal me? Heal my heart. I want you. For some of us, we'd say, God, I'm so distracted. I'm distracted by tasks, by social media, by the news, by constant podcasts, by work, and it's getting to a place where it's coming between me and you, and I miss you. And I miss those moments that I used to have with you in your word, in prayer. Would you just take all of this? I want you. And some of us would say, we're... God, God, I'm actually worried all the time. My, my worry and my fear is growing so that worry and fear are eclipsing my life and they're keeping me from trusting you. And I want to trust you again. And I remember those days when I used to trust you with my whole heart and I want to trust you again. And so I let go. Would you please heal me? I want you. And finally, maybe some of us would say, God, I, I keep thinking about all kinds of things that I'm coveting. There's all kinds of things that are not mine, and I want them for myself. There's a spouse that's not mine. There's a home that's not mine. There's a job that's not mine. There's someone's income that's not mine. There's someone's vacation that's not mine. And I've become obsessed in thinking about those things. And it's coming between me and you. And it's keeping me from entering the banquet of your goodness and trusting that, you, that what you have for me is good. Take it. I want you. When I was just thinking through this for my own life, um, I thought of the word escape for me. Um, and uh, we, Sue Ray, some of you know Sue Ray at our church, she came in with our staff team at the church and she taught us um, all about the PSI, it's called the Personal Style Indicator, and how everyone's wired a bit different. 
But what was interesting is that when she was teaching us, she said, Matthew, your personal style is someone who, when you're stressed, your go-to is escape. Like, you, you just want to get out of here, get out of there, right? Um, and, and, and you will be tempted to want to escape from the good work that you're called to, or you're, you're tempted to escape from the good people you're called to love. Other people, when they're stressed, they double down, they work harder. You know, there was a variety of, thing, of, of ways when people cope with their stress. So yours is unique. Is you're going you're gonna to escape. You're going to want to escape. And um, just on a lighter note, I've always dreamed of being a barista. And some of you who are baristas, I think you have the coolest job ever because, like, you make your coffee, and then when you give the coffee to the person at the coffee shop, for that microsecond, your job is done. And you stare at your beautiful work of art, and you could take your apron off and head home because at that moment, done. Your work of art is done. And that would be an awesome job. I would love that. That would be so amazing. Any baristas in the room? None? No baristas. One. There we go. Okay, good. Congratulations. Yes, you have an, you, uh, you have an amazing job. I love it. A barista for your wife. Come on. Yes. There you go. A barista for your wife. You have a nice coffee machine. Okay. But <laughs> coveting. Um, but, you know, deep down, I don't want to escape. So I'm just speaking from my life. I don't want to escape. What do I want? I want the kingdom. I want the banquet. I want everything God has for me. I want to know the life, the people, the tasks, the obedience that God wants for me because I ultimately, ultimately, ultimately believe that around the banquet, it is good. It's good for your soul. It's good for my soul. So how do we move away from idols and distractions? It's very simple. Here's, that, here's our invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I think that's it. This is what I would welcome us to do today, to taste the goodness of God. Because when we start to taste an appetizer of, of his banquet, I don't think we'll turn away. I don't believe we can once we taste his goodness. I want to read you from Jamie Smith from his book, You Are What You Love. I think this is so important. Catch this. He writes, quote, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't, who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. My words here, let me just describe what he's saying. He's saying, when you come to church, this is not just that you get new information for your brain, right? This is actually for, for you to give him your loves and your wants and your longings and for him to start to shape you. Jesus wants our wants. Jesus longs for us to give him our longings. Jesus wants to change them and heal them and shape them, and he's delighted to reorder the desires of our heart. He can do that today, right now in worship, because I want to ask you, why are you here? Like, why did you come today? I believe you came today because something deep within you wants to know God, that something deep within you wants to connect with a God who is passionate about you, 
with Jesus who died for you, who, uh, who welcomes you into his banquet of life, love, grace, forgiveness, freedom, all of it. And so what he wants is to take our loves and to begin to shape them into a love for him. Jamie Smith continues, and he says, worship is the best place for that. He says this, worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do, it is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. And that's why you're here. Welcome to the gym, right? God wants to retrain your heart. He wants to recalibrate a few things. He wants to heal us of the idols and the distractions that keep us from enjoying everything he has for us. And so as we worship, would we pray, Lord, let me taste your goodness. Lord, let me experience the banquet that you've prepared for me. Lord, I'm so distracted. Lord, I'm so caught up in things that don't matter. Lord, I miss you. I miss you. Lord, I want to taste and see that you're good. Would you recalibrate our hearts? Would you reform our desires? Would you rehabituate our loves? Can you stand with me? We're going to worship. Northangley, Jesus stands with his arms stretched open. And he says, come, for everything is now ready. Come, everything is now ready. He loves you. And Northangley, if you could, would you, if you feel comfortable, close your eyes, close your eyes and just in your mind, see the stretched arms of Jesus welcoming you to the banquet. And you see those stretched arms and those arms were crucified on a Roman cross. And he was willing to pay the ultimate price to welcome you home. To save you from the idols and the distractions and to give you an incredible banquet in your father's house. So just take a minute right now and just see in your mind just how much he loves you. And when Jesus wore the crown of thorns, it was the coronation. And you have been invited to the greatest coronation, a banquet better than any coronation banquet you could ever be invited to. And the Father welcomes you to his banquet where he is with his life, his love, his grace, his healing, his nearness. And here in a minute, I'd welcome you to come to our prayer team. Our prayer team's up here, up front. Our prayer team will be in the prayer room. And if there's anything that has come up for you that you would just love prayer for, just any sense of healing that you long for, you come forward. The prayer team would love to pray for you. So Lord Jesus, as we come to worship you, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Jesus, that you have invited us 
deeper into God's heart and into his love. And we hear your words for us. Come, come, for everything is now ready. Amen.